Welcome to the Pet Life Podcast. As always, I am Patrick. And today I have a very special guest. I'm really excited about this one. Um, some of you know about the Weston A. Price Foundation. Some of you know what it's about, what they do. Um, but the people behind it, the ones that really get it out to everyone to get this into as many minds as possible. Um, you know, there's some big players here. And today I have with me the biggest uh, <laughs> right now. It's Sally, Sally Fallon Morella. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my, it is my pleasure. And uh, I don't want to take uh, any unnecessary time to uh, go on all these different tangents because I do for those who listen. So we're going to focus on just getting right to the point. So maybe if you can, Sally, talk to us a little bit about uh, just one, uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, your your role at the Weston A. Pro- Weston A. Price Foundation. Well, thank you. I'm Sally Fallon Morell, and uh, my husband and I founded the Weston A. Price Foundation in 1999. Uh, we are a nutrition education foundation. We publish a journal. We have a podcast. We put out, we do a conference every year, a lot of educational materials. And we are going strong after almost 25 You've years. You've got mail. Yeah. So um, we have no ties to the food industry or the government. So we can tell the truth. (laughs) We're not selling any products. (laughs) And we are just trying to educate people on what constitutes a healthy diet. And it's not anything that you're hearing uh, from the government, for sure, from most people, actually. Most people think that a healthy diet is a low-fat diet. And that could not be further from the truth. A healthy diet is a diet rich in nutritious animal fats. Absolutely. And this is one of, like I said, before we came on, the one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring you on. Um, and those who listen to the show totally are in the same ballpark as us. <laughs> but for those who may be new to the show, um, this isn't us talking in conspiracy. This is backed by a lot of data, a lot of information, a lot of ancient cultures or more indigenous cultures. And this is what uh, Weston A. Price was doing. And, um, you know, so I'm totally on board and we're going to dive into all of that because that I my background in personal training, uh, you know, you know, like weight management, all this stuff, you know, all these names and labels, essentially is just trying to help people understand thyself. Mm -hmm. So you guys are doing that. Um, So maybe if we can talk about a little bit who Weston A. Price was. Okay, so Weston Price was a dentist. Uh, He wrote a wonderful book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which uh, was a record of what he had found in his travels throughout the world studying Uh, what you call primitive people. He used the word primitive, but he was using it as a compliment. Um, And and he found 14 groups with excellent dental health. He was, after all, a dentist. And uh, they had no cavities or virtually no cavities and naturally straight teeth, broad faces, excellent bone structure. So he was curious what kind of diet resulted in this excellent bone structure. And he showed that As soon as they went off the traditional diet and started eating processed foods, uh, first of all, they developed tremendous tooth decay, but the the next generation, the generation born to parents who were eating processed foods did not look the same as their parents. They had more narrow faces, uh, not as um, their bodies were not as sturdy and strong, and they had more trouble having children. Uh, Childbirth became very difficult and, and painful life-threatening even. (laughs) So it was, he called that physical degeneration. 
And it, when they stayed on this diet, each generation got weaker and more pronounced in the de degeneration. Mm -hmm. And so it, is, they were eating this uh, more Western diet. Was it just him sitting back and observing like a colonization occurring? Or was this like he was part of a study giving this to people? Was it just purely it was observation? just observational, but he also took the traditional foods home to his laboratory and analyzed them for vitamin and minerals and the, the content of vitamin and minerals. These diets were extremely high in minerals, at least four times more than the traditional diet of his day. But they were really high in what he called the fat-soluble activators. And these are the vitamins that we get exclusively from animal fats, so vitamins A, D, and K. And so we have okay. been promoting uh, this knowledge, but also how to maximize these vitamins in your diet. And one important way is to get our animals back on pasture again. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about that on the show, bring on a lot of farmers. So if you can maybe just mm -hmm. from your point of view, uh, just elaborate um, kind of how you, how you well, express this to people. <laughs> I, I get very frustrated with this because I, I totally support grass-based agriculture, but it's often promoted as good because the meat is lean. And the, the benefit is in the fats. And if you don't have the fats, you're not really getting all the benefit. So yeah. for sure, the butter fat and the egg yolks, but also the fat in the meat. Uh, pork fat, lard, is an extremely healthy fat we should all have in our diet. Mm -hmm. And then the beef fat as well. So the, the goal is to get the fats in the right. diet. So this will kind of lead us into the little nefarious stuff. Everyone who isn't privy to what we're talking about is like, what is this lady what? talking about? So can you maybe describe a little bit more why this fat's so important, why it's been completely, you know, side railed um, in our modern uh, dietary world? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll answer the second question first. It's been sidelined because in the early 1900s, a competitor came along and that was the what I call the industrial seed oils. They figured out how to get oil out of corn and, and cottonseed and, and soybeans and, um, and also how to harden the oil so they could make something that resembled butter or lard. And it was just an advertising strategy to demonize their competition. So the um, animal fats have been now been demonized for over a hundred years. People think that they're gonna give them heart disease or cancer or make them fat or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, this is just absolutely not true. And the evidence continues to come in that the real villain in the modern diet are these seed oils, these industrial seed oils. So, right. and I think anyone in the health field would agree with me, these, these are bad news, but so many of them then go to a diet that might have some coconut oil in it or some, you know, sesame, uh, sesame oil or something, but they, they, they're not embracing those animal fats. Right. And so what is it about then, as you keep saying about the animal fats, you know, we talked about the vitamin, the different vitamins, but um, is there something else in specific to the animal fats that is so uh, nutritious? Well, first of all, these fats are saturated and contrary to what we've been told, the saturated fats are absolutely critical for health. That's the kind of fat that our body wants and needs and wants and needs to such a great extent that we do have a backup plan if we're not getting them in our diet. Mm -hmm. 
and that is we make these saturated fats out of carbohydrates. So if you are avoiding animal fats, you will crave carbohydrates because that's what you need to make the fats. The problem is with the carbohydrates, they're, uh, you know, they are very depleting. They use up nutrients and they're not providing the fat soluble vitamins. Absolutely. And, and this is something I, I talk a lot about with people, especially people uh, that ask me about like protein powders and stuff, but it all comes back to animal fats as I go and I explain it, maybe you can elaborate. It's, it's the modern mindset with pharmacology, all this stuff where it's like, we want to extract one piece of the whole in order <laughs> yeah, to give yeah. you this, this notion that, oh, I'm getting protein. And it's like, but you don't understand that the, the body doesn't know how or doesn't process the isolate the same way that it's it's processing exactly. the entirety. And the one biggest thing, and this is something that I've been looking into a lot, and you can elaborate, um, hopefully, is that when you're eating meat on the bone, not just grounded, but like eating it on the bone, you're getting way more of those natural minerals, those vitamins, you know, even if you're not getting the uh, bone marrow itself, but you're getting it on the bone, it's your body's able to absorb or utilize more of the protein, more of the minerals, more of the fat solubles and things like that. So, Well, we, we certainly should use the bones. We, we advocate making a bone broth with the bones mm -hmm. and then uh, making a sauce and put, putting that on your meat. Uh, but just getting back to the protein powders, and I know, <laughs> so we have so many um, people on the keto diet and the, you know, these all meat diets uh, there's a, there's one called, um, uh, I can't remember the name, but um, yeah, there's so many out there, but uh, they're getting too much protein and no diet did they have more than 20% protein. And that's the diet for a growing teenage boy or an athlete or something. What they wanted was the fat. And when you're eating a lot of fat, you actually don't need very much protein. And then if you take a high meat, low fat diet, you know, lean meat diet, and then add the protein powders, it's just a huge strain on the kidneys. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you have kidney disease, the first thing the doctor will tell you is no protein powders. So right. uh, this you, is very concerning to me that um, people are just overdosing on protein. Can you maybe just really quick uh, explain where the, the kidney uh issue lies with all this protein? Well, you know, you, you really can't overdo protein if you're eating meat with fat. Exactly. But once you try to eat lean meat or the protein powders, it's easy to get up to 40% protein. And that's, right. uh, the kidneys are not designed to process that much protein. Right. And that's, and that's the one thing too, that, you know, trying to take it back to nature, indigenous groups and populations is, you know, if there's a kill, it's a shared kill. It's shared with the community, it's a tribe, so everybody's getting more than enough, but it's just, it's you're not eating the whole thing by well, yourself. Like, I'm not buying well, a- The first thing is, if the animal is too lean, they just toss it. Right. It's rubbish. Interesting. A lean animal is rubbish, they won't eat it. They eat the fatty parts first. Very often that's the tail, like the tail of the kangaroo, mm -hmm. or the sheep, or the mutton, because that's the fattiest part. They will save all the fat from the animal and render it down. And then the lean meat is cut in strips and dried or smoked. And when it's time to eat that, they spread it with the fat. Right. So they don't eat the lean meat. Well, and this is what's so interesting is, is that, and I always look now with the mindset that I have, we all have, is like, okay, in our mainstream, we're propagating and putting on a pedestal now this protein. 
So I'm like, okay, yes, what? And this is what we're talking about. <laughs> Macronutrient, My good, yeah. right? But it's so interesting. What's the one that's still getting the flack? It's fats. And yeah, as you said right. too, and maybe we can elaborate on this a little bit more, talking about that saturated, low saturation, you know, saturated fats and things yeah. like that. Talking about um, the sugar company, I believe it was in the seventies. There was that that one big study that took talking about cholesterol. Well, yeah. talking about cholesterol now, but um, yeah. but that plays in with well, fats. there was yeah. the um, the sugar industry did not want the finger to be pointed at them, and the vegetable oil didn't want the industry didn't want the finger pointed at them. And so they they picked on the, the defenseless animal fats because there was nobody out there defending them. Right, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and, but always in traditional cultures, the fat is the high, most highly prized. Yeah, and can you maybe elaborate more too, because uh, to kind of tee it up, and this might even segue us into some of the germ theories and certain things that people are putting yeah. in their body, um, the importance of, the, of, of good fat with the brain. Yes, yes. So uh, the brain is, of course, m mostly fat. A key fat in the brain is arachidonic acid. This is an omega-6 fatty acid that we only, I mean only, get from animal fats. Mm -hmm. And it's key to brain function. And actually, we make endocannabinoids. So we make our internal marijuana. We have receptors for those cannabinoids. And this is what help us uh, not get stressed out, to be relaxed, to enjoy things, and to accomplish things, to feel good. Mm -hmm. And guess what these endocannabinoids are made out of? They're made out of arachidonic acid, which we can only get from animal fats. Yeah. And we have a nation today that's highly addicted uh, on all kinds of drugs, including marijuana or antidepressants. I think one woman in four over the age of 60 is on an antidepressant. Uh, that's because, and I have tremendous sympathy for this, because they feel terrible. And the reason they feel terrible is they're not getting enough arachidonic acid in their diets. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do this is to eat animal fats. Absolutely. And uh, just to elaborate on that too, right? People, it's lack of movement. It's it's all these different pieces. But when you understand how important that, as Sally's saying here, on the brain function, it's that when you eat something or you know you eat something healthy, right? A lot of times people go like, man, I feel better. It's because it, you're giving the body yeah. what it needs. So it could be yeah. people are, you know, lacking purpose. They're festering on their past, mm -hmm. all this stuff. But understanding that when you do give your body what it needs nutritionally, it will give you that spark of like, wow, like this feels great. And people yeah, do, I can do, people this. can become can, productive. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yes. uh, you know, just mm -hmm. to Sally's point, I'm, and I totally agree with you, it's just how can we help people even getting that right step? And the biggest challenge, or well, the big hurdle, right, is getting people out of even this notion that fat is so bad for you, you know? Yeah, and so with the, the modern day, you know, processing, I know you were talking about grass-fed or getting a pasture-raised. There's so many deceptions now and, and sleight of hands that's going on with that. What is your view on like a pasture-raised? Because I know people, like with grass-fed, for example, People that uh, farmers would be like, yeah, they could feed the cow grass early on in their life, and then it's mostly, you know, you know, the the mix mixtures that they're creating, and that's considered grass fed. So I don't know if you want to elaborate on um, how you see a pure pasture raised. Oh, hold on one second. All right, 
we're, we're back. Uh, we had a little bit of uh, a technical difficulty. We got storms happening. So uh, we're good, okay. though. So um, I'm a little I kind of forgot where we left off on that. But I know we were diving into. Do you remember? Talking about arachidonic acid. I OK, yeah. yeah. If, if you want to keep going with that, let's uh, I'll let you have the floor. Well, just that uh, arachidonic acid is a special type of fat. 11% of our brain is arachidonic acid, and it also is the basis for our endocannabinoids that we make out of arachidonic acid. We only can get this from animal fat. Mm -hmm. So if you're not eating the animal fat, you're not going to feel very well. Yeah. So to to that point, does that have an effect? Uh, Does that play a role? Uh, or the lack thereof in people with like Alzheimer's and uh, autism. Does that have any relationship or correlation? Yes, yes, I'm sure. But also um, depression, mm-hmm. addiction, violence. Uh, what we're seeing today is could is predictable mm-hmm. uh, when everything that they're eating. If you're eating processed food, you know a processed food diet. Uh, you're going to have these problems. You're going to be lacking uh, the kind of fats you need for your brain to work. Right. Isn't that interesting too, is is when you look at, um, you know, as they say, sometimes the most starving people are people who are obese or overweight. It's this mindset. Like when we look at the animalistic uh, part of our mind where it's like survival, food, this and that, when you see a lot of the violence, even though people are eating that mindset where the bot, the brain's like, I need to survive. Right. So it's like, it's aggressive. It's almost (laughs) like it's always on edge. Right. I'm also uh, very concerned. Yeah. I'm concerned about people not getting enough salt. You know, salt has been demonized as well as animal fats. And some people need quite a bit of salt. I'm one of those people. Uh, I try to eat about three teaspoons of salt a day Mm -hmm. and salt is critical for neurological function. Can you elaborate a little bit more for uh, for those who are like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, right. So we need sodium to make glial cells in our brain. And glial cells are the cells that make connections and that allow us to be creative and act in a civilized way. And uh, we need the chloride part of salt, sodium chloride, right, uh, to digest meat. And again, we have these diets that are very high in meat, no salt, no fat, no carbohydrates. This is a recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. just a recipe for disaster. Right. And that's ex- and that goes back to what we were talking about with eating the whole of that animal or getting it as a whole, you know, one body, one unit, rather than trying to isolate meat, the protein, trying to isolate, you know, so you- Right, the lack of fat, like that's not natural. <laughs> yeah, you want the fat with your meat, and you want the organ meats too, because the organ meats is where the real nutrition is. Yeah, can, can you talk a little bit more about uh, what the organ meats? What are some that are? What are the benefits of like, let's just say, liver? I know that's the biggest one right now. Um, well, it, liver is very high in fat soluble vitamins. It's, it is the most nutritious food there is. Mm-hmm. It's higher than meat. It's higher than anything else. And traditional cultures always ate these organ meats, usually first, and and we usually do not eat them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real need for making awful taste good, as I like to say, uh, sausage and uh, meat products that include the organ meats. Now here in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, Maryland, we, we can get scrapple, 
which is made from the scraps of the pig, mm -hmm. along with the broth and some cornmeal added. It's a wonderful, wonderful food. Um, but you can't get that everywhere in the country, and most people don't even know what it is. You know? Right. So, um, you know, one of the big things, too, is understanding the, the role of the liver in the body. So maybe we can talk about, uh, if you can elaborate a little bit more, like what is the role of the liver? What is its process? What is its function? And then why is it that we're well, eating? Well, it's the process of all our food. It makes all our enzymes. It um, helps detoxify. It's, it's um, you know, just the major protective organ. And by the way, the liver requires saturated fats to function properly. You know, there was an old saying, if you were going to go out drinking, you eat a stick of butter first. Mm -hmm to protect your liver. Right. And this, so this is where, for those listening who may be new to this, this is where it all starts to come back. How many people into society today having liver issues? We're in a society where a lot of people want to go out and party and this oh, and that. Endemic, You're yes. just destroying the liver. Yeah. So we're destroying the liver with over alcohol, you know, literally poisoning it with over alcohol yeah. consumption, lack of saturated fats, you know, the ability to lie, the body, uh, and then uh, uh, poisons like Tylenol yeah. are very toxic to the so, liver. Yeah, I was going to say, so what, what, for those who don't know, maybe they know oh, it's not the best for me. Why is it so toxic to the liver? For, uh, yeah, yeah. Is it? I don't know. The mechanism. Oh, okay. I don't know the mechanism, but it's. No, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely with you. I just, the thing is, I understanding too, like when you're taking, I'm ultimately getting for all those listening, when you're taking things that aren't natural to the body, right? Again, Tylenol is trying to pull certain, you know, chemical bonds that are found in mm -hmm. nature, basically, and going, oh, we need this little piece here. And then they put it in with all their other junk, which is, I'm teeing this up here. It leads us to being like, oh, mm -hmm. we're putting all this other stuff that's just completely destroying the body. But look, we have this one little chemical bond that's supposed to help you not actually get to the root of the problem. The root of the issue is just going to keep masking it, trying to put band-aids. And then ultimately, as it's putting a band-aid on you, it's stabbing you in the liver being like, oh, <laughs> you know. So this is <laughs> yeah. this is a huge issue that we're dealing with. And a lot of it, it has to do uh, as we're like, segueing a little bit um, and what you talk a lot about. Or talk about a lot is uh, this germ theory and understanding what this has been doing to us as a society and where you uh, yeah. you have for those who are privy you you're right in line with where we all see it but for those new what what is going on with germ theory well Tom Cowan and I have written a book called the contagion myth in which we argue that germs, you know, bacteria and viruses do not cause disease. In the case of germs, uh, excuse me, in the case of bacteria, they are innocent bystanders. Uh, they actually are the garbage men. They come and clean up the debris. If we're, if we have inflammation or, uh, you know, pain or whatever, and they're not the cause, they just come and clean up things. And we argue that viruses don't even exist. This is a completely phony, Discipline, virology, it's based on all kinds of fraudulent methods that are supposedly showing you viruses, but they don't show you viruses. And so we argue that there's no such thing as contagious disease. What causes disease is nutrient deficiencies, poisons, and you can also say injuries such as birth injuries, but it's not um, germs. Uh, now, the, the germ theory is very convenient to the medical profession because they don't have to look elsewhere. Yeah. If, the, if, um, 
If they're saying germs cause disease, they don't have to look at your diet. They don't have to look at your, you know, any poisons in your life. <laughs> and um, uh, so it's, it's very convenient for the medical profession. And the whole practice of vaccination, of course, is based on the germ theory, the idea that we're going to give you a little bit of these germs or the, the proteins the germs produce or whatever. And... Um, that'll make you um, have a kind of a, a mild form of the illness mm. and then you won't get the real illness. That's, that's the theory. And it's a crazy theory. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not true. I can give you a really good example and that's smallpox. Let's do it. Uh, Dr. Campbell, yeah. who um, studied smallpox, he had a clinic and he got rid of smallpox by strict sanitation that got rid of bed bugs. He believed smallpox was caused by bed bug bites and indeed bed bugs have real toxins in their bites uh, but he said this the whole idea of immunity is nonsense he said I've seen many people get smallpox recover and get smallpox again they don't become immune because they've had smallpox mm -hmm. yep and so this and if you can maybe a little elaborate a little bit more on some of the other uh, diseases let's just say uh, that has been completely mis yeah, because I'm going to have to, you know, uh, explain, well, what are all these diseases? What exactly. causes them? So we'll start with polio, which was is the disease that was so seared in our minds because of the pictures of the iron lungs. And polio uh, was caused by neurotoxic pesticides, first by lead arsenate, which was uh, the first time it was used to, for the gypsy moth, which was... Um, accidentally released in the United States. Oh dear. Okay. Which was accidentally released in the United States and was killing all the oak trees. And so they were, um, after World War One, all these pilots came back. They had nothing to do. So they were spraying this lead arsenate everywhere. And it was on all the fruit. It was on apples and blueberries and strawberries. And it became very clear that this was making people sick. And they... Um, you know, had to um, stop using it, but what were they going to use? Well, then DDT came along, and this was going to be the answer. It was perfectly safe, mm -hmm. right? And so this was sort of after the Second World War. Uh, the pilots came back from the war, and they were spraying DDT everywhere. Uh, you could buy cans of DDT and spray it in your house. Mm -hmm. It was being sprayed with these big sprayers um, in dairies. And the trucks went along the streets with the DDT spraying out the back of the truck and the children playing in the DDT. And it turns out DDT was just as toxic as lead arsenate. And it was only after they um, banned DDT that the polio started to go away. And now the only uh, cases we get are uh, from the vaccination itself. Right. But it was, they never found a virus. They said they'd found a virus, but they never found a virus for polio. Um, so all great stuff. And there's so many ways we can leave this. So let's start with what you just said about uh, how people say they found something and they don't actually find it. What Can you yeah. maybe elaborate on that? Because this... And by, and by the way, um, you know, so people might say, well, so what? You know, what? so what about the germ theory? But the thing is, if you do not know the cause of a disease, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to solve it. Exactly. And the the remedies that are being proposed are just make things worse. Right. 
hundred percent. And and well, just to maybe real quick on that, um, there's a we're we're finding ourselves in a time where there are people who genuinely want to get better. There are people who really are wanting to get better and feel yes. better, and they go, "I just don't know how." I've been totally pulled in so many directions. Yes, I know, and so confused. Right. They're so confused about everything out there. The the doctor's saying one thing, but then if you go to the internet, it's equally confusing. Right. So this is where, and, and I think Sally can agree with me on this, is we have to just get back to nature. You're not seeing animals in... Well, but if, if you think nature means eating bananas and, you know, blueberries... Uh, well... That's not well, I'm just help. saying in the sense of That's getting back to nature and looking at, again, indigenous populations, looking at, you know, animals that eat meat mm-hmm. that are designed, literally going back to Weston A. Price, we have these canine teeth that's mm-hmm. supposed to rip, can, rip yeah. into meat, rip into, you know, certain foods, you know, actually chew. This is, you know, kind of sidetracking here. One of the big things uh, is because we're eating soft foods. People aren't actually utilizing the strength in their jaw and their teeth. We don't breathe properly because... Well, that, that, that I would disagree with you. Please. This is one of the no, theories please. why people have crowded teeth. It's because they're eating soft okay. food. Yeah. And that has nothing okay. to do with whether yeah. you have a strong jaw. It's whether you are getting the, the right nutrients, whether the food is soft or hard. Now, traditional cultures had strong jaws. That's true. And they could eat hard food. But they all started out in soft food. Um, milk is Fair soft. Fair enough. Good point. And the soup, food for yeah. The food for babies was chewed and made into a kind of mush, and you know it was soft foods given to babies, and only when they had their teeth come in were they given food that they could chew. I'm really concerned about this idea that we have to give babies hard food, um, yeah, uh, so they have straight. Teeth. With all respect, I wasn't saying giving babies that. I'm just saying as adults, as we get older, there is that lack of ability, and again. I 100% agree with like the lack of nutrition and the lack of the, the what you need in your diet and what your foods. But but true, then it'd be they have don't have the muscles. In that, that's all. Yeah, not babies. But you know, uh, as as people get older, and I have noticed this with the elderly in my life, it gets harder to mm-hmm. chew. And even in traditional cultures, they they reserve soft foods easy together for the elders. Interesting. Thanks for checking out our free preview of the podcast. If you want to listen to the rest of this episode and many others like it, become a member at thepatlife.org.